Of all the things that sustain a leader over time, love is the most lasting. The best kept secret of successful leaders is love. Staying in love with leading, with the people who do the work, with what their organizations produce, and with those who honor the organization by using its work. James Kuzis. Welcome to the Lost Traveler podcast. I'm your ever-loving host, Henry Cameron Allen. Today, I have a very special guest who I'm excited to get into a, a dialogue with on so many levels. His name is David Edwards. He has been, um, in, he's an author, right? You're a published author. Um, I'll put a link to your your information and your website in the, uh, in the description. Um, but you're all about transformation and and empowerment um you know finding ways to to be inspired to to advance to another level of consciousness and being as a human being and so i'm really excited to meet you and welcome you to the lost traveler podcast thank you for being here henry cameron it's a pleasure thank you so tell me a little bit about, you're based in Spokane, Washington. Is that where you were born or is that where you ended up? <laughs> no, I've lived in Washington State. I was born here, not in Spokane, but uh, but my dad was a contractor growing up. And mm -hmm. so we moved a lot, you know, where the work was kind of a thing, right? Yes. And so we lived mostly, though, in the West Coast of the United States. And I keep going back to Alaska for some reason. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and and then come home and you know then we go back up and um most recently i worked for a tribal health consortium in out of Juneau, alaska wow and i'd wanted to work with tribal groups uh, native american groups yeah. soren candidates one nations groups <laughs> and i think we use different terms yes around the Indigenous, world but, yes 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 Indigenous now, peoples do you find um, that your work with indigenous populations has informed uh, your own spiritual journey or your perception of the uh, the human experience? Well, absolutely. And and you guys can't see it because we're audio, but you can see it, Henry Cameron. And I'm kind of back here is this mask. This is a peace mask. I worked in Nigeria with the Yoruba people. And oh. um, I love this mask uh, when I was talking to the artist about it because he said there's four big tribes in Nigeria, but there are like 400 little tribes. Right. And it's kind of easy to forget about those guys. Yeah. But he said the idea of this is this is like uh, a bunch of these tribes some big and some small playing music mm. and how we have to play music together and when we do that there's harmony big tribes small tribes all tribes that's right and this idea of peace and harmony amongst you know people that are very similar to us but just a little bit different right and I always love that idea and whether it be in indigenous people in Nigeria or in Alaska, um, there is a sense of spirituality, of closeness to the land. And 
candidly, what appeals to me in a healthcare career mm-hmm. has been this idea of you are a whole person. Yes. And, and so we had a hospital, we had, you know, dental care and optometry and physical therapy and all the normal Western medicine stuff. But we also had a significant and integrated presence of behavioral health. So the mind, and we had a sweat lodge behind the behavioral health building. (laughs) Because that was a part of the culture. And that was a part of them as whole people. And so we honored and respected that sense of, I'm a whole person. And as a healthcare system, we want to engage with you as a whole person. Balance, pain mitigation, range of motion, athletic performance, focus, memory, immune system support, and REM level of sleep. All this and more made possible affordably with no pharmaceuticals, no injections, or invasive treatments. Just socks, insoles, and patches made stronger with the tactile patterning of Vox Life products scientifically proven to work and guaranteed now in the usa canada and the uk visit www.dianedinkmeyer.voxlife.com that's vox v-o-x-x life you'll be glad you did i have a background in uh waldorf education uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Rudolf Steiner uh, in anthropology. Oh, I'll send you some information yeah. um, and I'll, I'll post a link as well. Cause I, I tend to like to anything that comes up in our, in our dialogues um, that we make reference to, whether it's a book uh, including your own or uh, a philosophy or someone who's been a muse for us in their writings or in their right. uh, philosophical developments. I like to put those as tools in the description for listeners. Um, Steiner was uh, Austrian born. He was a philosopher and he, he was many, many, many things. He was kind of a Renaissance man uh, about a hundred years ago. Okay. And he was giving a lecture around Europe talking about um, the, the idea of a threefold social system uh, of government where the educators would be in charge of education, where business people would be in charge of business and economics, where healthcare would be run and and developed by healthcare people, not attorneys, not politicians, right? He was way ahead of his time in many, many ways. And he was also talking about foundational education of children, that it's all about the foundation Right. My grandmother used to say this to me. She said, honey, raising kids is like building a house. It's all about the foundation. If you have a strong foundation, the house can burn to the ground and you can build it up again. But if you start with a weak foundation, then that house is doomed to collapse in on itself at some point. And you can go back in and rebuild and reinforce and all that. But it takes time and energy and often a lot of money to do so better start and invest in the foundation years. And so where I'm correlating this is that Steiner was talking about foundational education of human beings, leading them toward freedom, freedom and and, uh, critical thinking, and that it had to be that whole person 
effect. And his movement of anthroposophy has not only been uh, instrumental in developing education as we know it, in, in the positive sense, holistic education, but also medicine and healthcare, also mental health, also farming techniques and cosmetics industry. It's really amazing how it's touched every aspect of our human experience, but it's a quiet movement. Nobody really knows about it. Uh, my theater company, I, I have a couple of colleagues and I who are developing a world touring theater company called the Liminos Project. And the whole mission is to explore through theater the dance across the threshold between the human physical and the human spiritual experience, the liminal space, right? The space between spaces in order to integrate them into one whole being. There you go. And that's exciting to me. And it sounds right in line with where you're coming from. How did you get there? Because if you were involved in the traditional sense in the healthcare industry and you saw this void uh, that needed to be fixed, how did what inspired you? What opened your eyes or, or lifted the veil that made you enter that world? Well, that's a good question. Um... It's still, it's a little bit difficult to go back sometimes yeah. because we tend to rewrite our own history. That's right. That's true. <laughs> you know, what, what I remember, you know, I was influenced by, you know, what's happened and what I've done um, since. And so, but I, I started early in my career back in the 1980s in a, what's called a federally qualified or community health center. And this place was pretty interesting. I mean, more so than I ever gave it credit for back in those days. And, you know, I was still going to college and I was working my way through school and I found a job in the newspaper. People remember what newspapers are. Oh, yeah. That's where we used to find our jobs. <laughs> and then newspaper. But anyways, there's a newspaper because I was making $3 an hour. And it paid $7 an hour. I could have a little more than a 100% increase, which for me was really important because I didn't have enough money for tuition for the next quarter and finding a job, you know, if I got it, that would pay that much better was going to, you know, get me through the rest of school, which right. that was kind of where my mental model was at the time. Yeah. Just get me through school. <laughs> yeah. And well, so very common. Yeah. And so, I started this job at this community health center doing accounts payable, um, which I'd been doing, you know, for a, a car rental place. And uh, and I didn't have any particular interest in healthcare. You know, I was, well, I'd served a mission for my church in France. Um, and we talked about kind of where you're at. So I served in uh, Biarritz, Bayonne. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, which is just across the border from Spain. and. Yeah in southern france and then uh in montpellier kind of opposite side of france but uh anyways um and so when i got home you know i was 21 and and that's when i started school but kind of going down this journey and um i was just going to be a accountant or something <laughs> so, yeah. and and so we started working in healthcare and this place was pretty amazing so it wasn't as evolved as the model is today, but this was a place where you could go and get primary care 
Um, it was very sensitive to you if you were in a more vulnerable population. So we served, which seems a little strange in the Seattle area, but we actually back then had a lot more agriculture. Wow. So we had like a lot of Spanish speaking people that come up from Texas mm -hmm. or from Mexico and they would work in the fields and this was a place where they could get healthcare. We spoke Spanish, mm -hmm. you know, our, um, enough of our providers did and support staff. And, and so I was working for this place and we had home health agency so we could provide some service to you at home. Um, we could support you if you were elderly and provide what we called then chore services. I think it's called personal care these days. Mm -hmm. um, we had dental care, which was pretty unusual. Um, and what else? Did we, we had a weatherization service. We had an employment service. Um, it was like a little city government almost, all these different things that we provided. And it yeah. was a marvelous learning and growing experience for me. Um, so fast forward, you know, because I've worked for long enough and that gets a little tedious sometimes. But um, I left there, you know, after about six years, thought I would just try something different. At that, I felt like that was all I'd really done um, and learned some things which were important for me. Like if you go to work for the cable company, cable is great, but that doesn't like turn my crank. It doesn't uh, <laughs> set off any bells or whistles or anything for me. You know, the cable company was all about money. Right. I mean, that was their focus. And awesome. if we make more money, we're successful. If we don't, we're failures, right? That kind mm -hmm. of a thing. Versus money is a necessary, right? But I don't exist for money. It's a means to an end because I have a purpose that's deeper and more profound. Right. And, and I realized that for me to put in the time and the energy that work seems to require of us mm -hmm. as we, you know, grow into leadership roles especially right. um, that's really important it has to connect with my own values my own sense of purpose and mission um, and so I we're talking about how I kind of got into this mode so I worked in cardiology for about 11 years which was really cool um, very unusual uh it was a care, education, and research. So we tried to advance and create new knowledge. Hmm. And then we tried to share that knowledge with as many people as possible so that it could be applied. Right. And then we tried to apply it ourselves in practice. Um, and it was a beautiful, wonderful thing that um, in a changing world of healthcare in the United States, um, lost its way. It didn't lose its way. But the environment became so focused on money as opposed to mission and then money as a means to an end right. that the forces that be the cardiologists and certain groups who supported this institute um, could no longer do that and felt like they needed to have the money that it made in their practice. Right. And that the education and the research and things that were going on were less important um, than that revenue <laughs> in your pocket. Profit. And so, you know, it was a it was a subject to those kinds of market forces, you know, which happens sometimes. Yeah. And so this is during this kind of an interim time. Um, I went to Africa and worked over there. 
I was reintroduced to a community health center and there was a little one in Idaho that was just starting up. I mean, there had been a free clinic on like Wednesday evening that a bunch of generous people just got together and said, hey, we'll provide care Wednesday night in this building and it's free. Come on by if you know you need it. Mm -hmm. And um, and they thought this is great, but we need more. There's so much demand. There's so much unmet need in the typical, you know, healthcare systems that are available that we need to expand this and make it a little more formal. And so I was a part of helping to kind of start up and get this little health center going. Um, and it re kind of introduced me to this idea because I'd been working in cardiovascular for quite a while at that point. And, but this idea that, no, you're a whole person, you got a mouth, you got a mind, you got a heart, you got fingers, you know, right. ear, nose, and throat, all that stuff. And, and it's connected. And when I went to Africa, it really reinforced that idea. Shadow and Light LLC was established by Dave Roberts and Reverend Patty Farino, co-authors of When the Psychology Professor Met the Minister. Their mission is to empower individuals to transcend life challenges by integrating spiritual practices with psychology to achieve peace. They are available for individualized spiritual counseling, virtual or in-person presentations and workshops to universities, organizations, and other interested groups, virtual or in-person book club meetings. For further information, go to psychologyprofessorandminister.com. What took you to Africa? Like, what was, um, how did that I was looking for different opportunities. Mm -hmm. And this, uh, it was a Catholic charity Mm -hmm. that had some work over there. There was a chief, Chief Bode Akindele, who um, was a legitimate tribal chief, but it was also a very successful businessman. Mm -hmm. And um, he wanted to give back. And so he had built a hospital, if you can believe it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he... Um, needed some help though because he didn't know anything about healthcare. and in nigeria you know there's very little formal kind of healthcare infrastructure I especially mean, in the countryside and, and outside the urban centers oh yeah well even there so ibadan is a city of roughly five million people oh wow so and nobody knows that because you know they don't birth you and get you a social security card <laughs> and right. count you you're just born <laughs> and um you know there's no every 10 years census or whatever and so um but you know nigeria is the most populous country in africa yeah and so the, this was a, a good sized city lots of people but you know it was kind of in the tropical jungle so it wasn't on the coast. Sounds kind of familiar, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but you We're know there aren't a lot of mountains there or anything. So it was just kind of these rolling hills. So what we'd see is you know rusty tin roofs going up over this hill and down the other side, and then up the next hill and down the other side, and and it went on for miles. Wow. Um, but anyways, there was a university, the University of Ibadan. So you know this is a big university with many thousands, maybe tens of thousands of students. Um, and it was the major medical training center for that part of Nigeria. Mm -hmm. um, 
one of the chief's businesses uh, had an employee who got into an accident. So we took him to the university because we weren't open yet for, you know, normal business. Um, and, and so we brought him in and they said, oh, we're out of x-ray film. So you guys, since you're here with the patient, you get to drive around town to all these little shops that might have x-ray film. And this is the size you need in order to get an x-ray of this part of the body. And when you find it, bring it back and we'll put it in and we'll get x-rays and, you know, we'll go from there. Um, and that was not at all unusual. Yeah. And so it was very rudimentary in some ways, but it was still based, the, there was a cultural aspect that you were a whole person yeah. and it was reinforcing. And it was shortly after that, that I, um, I really got into the art. Well, I've got this thing because mm -hmm. um, I really love the culture and studying the culture and the history. Yes. And this was a people without a written language, you know, before Westerners, Europeans showed up. That's right. But, uh, and not for hundreds of years, frankly, after that, did they really develop a written language, but they had history, just like they do in Spain. You were talking, you know, before we got on about some of the history going back a thousand years and more. Yeah. Well, these guys have history very similar, oh. but without a written language, they have stories and they have what are bronze castings. Mm. And I don't know if I have one. I, I know I have one. I don't know that I have it up on my yeah. at the bookshelf here. But oh, they're very, very famous, the, the bronze castings. They, they are, aren't they? And this is Nigeria where they and Benin. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, see, I'm glad you know this. Most people have never heard of Benin and, you know, kind of been to the British Museum, for example, where they have this beautiful, spectacular display of these castings that they in their, I don't know what, you know, it was a different age. So. Yes. Well, and I love that that the British Museum and others are starting to return these treasures to the people that they were stolen from during the colonial period. Um, I, you know, I, I love this whole, uh, uh, idea of introducing the world to Africa as it really is. Africa has the richest resources of any country, any any continent on the planet. There are 56 at least countries in Africa. Most people think of Africa as a country. It's not. It has so many countries, all with different languages, all with different cultures, all with different histories. And there is, I'm gonna share this with you and our listeners in the description box, cause we're uh, alluding to it. Um, there's a wonderful uh, YouTube channel that I am a Patreon supporter of called Home Team History. And right. it is all about African history, real African history. And there are hundreds of videos there, always new ones coming up. They are all well-researched intelligent, looking at different cultures and countries within Africa, but also the common African experience. What was Africa going through during the European Dark Ages, for instance? Who even right. thinks of Africa when we think of the Dark Ages, right? Africa right. going through a golden period and it should arrive there again. I'm, I'm actually uh, currently mentoring a grassroots organization in Uganda, um, 
for the past several months. It's called Desire Child Care Organization. And they have rescued and essentially adopted 32 children from the slums of Kampala. And really, you know, raising them from the dirt to transcend the circumstances that are no fault of their own, these children. They're ages two to 14 yeah. and um, and they have nothing. I mean, they are surviving, but I'm helping give them a leg up and uh, their mission is to transform the lives of these children. And so, um, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of organizations in Africa that are, you know, the Catholic charities have done amazing work in Africa. UNICEF has done amazing work, the UN, you know, um, and yet those organizations are struggling for funds to be able yeah. to help. And there is a lot of scamming coming out of Africa. There are a lot of, you know, churches where <laughs> the pastors are certainly getting plumper and they're driving yeah. cars and living in big, uh, big mansions while the children are still starving. And, um, you know, the education that they're providing uh, for these children, uh, which is not free in African countries, um, they're finding the cheapest, lowest quality government education possible because it's all about their own profits and gain, not really helping. So how do you sort that out? You right. know, I'm sure that that question comes up for you all the time in working with uh populations that have been marginalized and have been misrepresented in the world yeah. talk a little bit about that well it was interesting in this this hospital project um in nigeria corruption was very common it was all yeah. over the place i mean Everywhere. we'd be driving down the road and the police would have a roadblock up so in the U U.S., I'm thinking, you know, they're looking for a criminal or something. No, they're looking yeah. for a hundred naira <laughs> to line their pocket. That happens in Spain too, not just Africa. <laughs> Did you know that in Kampala, in Uganda, if you are caught giving a bottle of water or a food piece of food to a homeless child, you will be fined upwards of six hundred dollars, and if you can't pay it, they will imprison you for giving a child a bottle of water. I mean, that's the kind of corruption that still exists. You know, it's it's people in the West do not even begin to understand the uphill yeah. battle. Has it and gotten better? I don't think so, honestly. And and when I last spoke with the chief, um, he uh, he said it wasn't always this way. He said if you went back to like 1970, mm -hmm. I could lose my briefcase full of money. Somebody would find it, find my business card and return it to me. Right. But he said, you know, today this wouldn't happen. And so we we talked about it. And, you know, as we started to hire more people and, you know, actually function certain departments of the hospital, um, um, there was some corruption in the organization. And we were very aware of it. Right. It and, <laughs> uh, and so. I remember having this discussion with people on the leadership team who were all um, local people. Um, and, and I thought how, you know, we asked the question, how do we as an organization rise above the level of corruption that is all around us, yeah. right? And so we developed a couple of things and I'm not saying this was perfect, but 
I felt really good about what we had done, right? So first of all, I said, we should be absolutely clear at the level of policy and practice, pardon me, that um, we don't, we don't subscribe to this. We all know at some level, I mean, all the leadership team people without me <laughs> mm -hmm. knew that th this wasn't best. This wasn't ideal, right? right? And so we said, we need to be very explicit and say, there's no wink, wink, nod, nod. There's no, if you let me get away with this, I'll let you get away with something, right? Um, transparency is one of my core values and so yes, yes. Um, not to push my values on somebody else but we talked about what are the advantages of having an organizational culture that is lived by leadership so we have, we have leadership by example and then we support that alignment with what is an enduring correct principle a code of ethics a code of ethics right with policy and procedure and so you've got this kind of principle policy and practice that's all aligned and i didn't even use those words that's something that i just i wrote a paper a while back and i was on a human resources podcast and the guy said well share your paper with me and he ended up publishing it in his journal but it was all about this alignment and so we then went to the board and we talked about it and we said, you know, this is a part of our culture. We know this. So how do we counteract that? So we as an organization lift up our community a little bit so that we're the exception, not the rule. For years, I've turned on the television and the internet and have felt bombarded with messages of support, begging for money to support children in Africa, Afghanistan, India, all over the world, war-torn countries, children are starving, not only for food, but for education and love in some cases. Um, I recently connected with Desire Childcare Organization uh, that transforms the lives of orphans and vulnerable Ugandan children in Kampala and Mukono by providing wholesome food, housing, health care, and creative arts education from early childhood to adulthood. Won't you join me in helping save orphans and vulnerable children? We can do it together, one organization at a time. I chose this one. Visit desirechildcare.org for more information. Thank you. So we were explicit in our expectations. We were consistent in the policy and application. And then we adopted a formal policy of servant leadership. Mm. So leadership at Aramed, which is the name of the organization, is not about me getting ahead or me making more money or me being powerful or being in charge. It is about serving in a role that benefits all of us fairly. Yeah. It's about fulfilling the roles that we think that we're best at because that's where we're of the most service. And it's about giving to one another and transparency. And so this, we adopted a formal policy. So the board of directors, the governing body, the people were out begging for money, <laughs> and providing some of the money 
were on board with this. The leadership was on board and then, you know, the staff. And, and then, of course, as soon as you do that, and I'm feeling like, man, this is good. I'm proud of this. Um, this is a move in the right direction. Somebody tested our, our application because, you know, there was some thievering going on. Mm. And one of our more educated staff, um, we fired because we said, we're not going to, we've been very clear about this. You yeah. know what the expectations are. That's right. And if you're going to go forward and move like this, you know, then we're not going to tolerate it. And, right. and we kind of made it public uh, because it had to be, um, it had to be known so that people would say they're serious about this. Yes. Well, it affects but it was reputation. Gonna, yeah. It affects yeah. your reputation as a company and and it gives people who are going to invest in you confidence that you are walking your talk, right? That's so yeah. important. How would you say that somebody, just an average Joe or Josephine in the world, um, can take this same principle of having a manifesto or a code of ethics yeah. for your own personal life and affect it in the world to build others confident first your confidence in yourself yeah. but also and and putting that into a a, a clear um i'm gonna say box mm -hmm. right because we tend to compartmentalize ourselves and and yeah you know, separate things out. But we are, as you say, a whole a whole person, right? Yeah. And very often, when I was in high school, I wanted to make a t-shirt for myself that said, too big for the box. And <laughs> meaning that, um, that we tend to want to shove other people into prefabricated boxes that somebody designed, but not for this body, right? Yeah. The box I'm talking about is the one that you create that does suit your structure, that does suit your philosophy and your personal integrity um and that's what integrity means doesn't it it's integrating yeah. every aspect of who you are as a whole person i was well, i left home at 13 i was very very lucky to have been rescued from a difficult situation at home and for my 14th birthday the woman um her name is judy she's passed on since but she's still with me if you know what i mean um she called me into the kitchen and said, happy birthday, put out your hand. Now to me, put out your hand meant that I was gonna be injured in some way. <laughs> and yeah. so I put it behind me and, and she said, do you trust me? I said, yes. She said, then put out your hand, it's okay, it's safe. I gingerly put out my hand. Yeah. And into the palm of my hand, she placed a tiny little piece of paper folded up kind of like the size you would find in a fortune cookie at a Chinese restaurant. Oh, yeah. And right. I said, what's this? She said, it's your birthday present. You can open it. And I unfolded the little bit of paper. And on it was written the word integrity. And she said, do you know what it means? I was just turned 14. I had no idea what integrity was. She said, go look it up. Now, we didn't have Google Right. We didn't have internet. We didn't even have computers at that time. I'm that old. Yeah. And but she did have on a heavy brass music stand in the corner of her living room an open Oxford English dictionary. You bet. If you didn't know what something was, go look it up. Right. Yep. 
So I went and I flipped through all the pages and I looked for the word integrity. And the way I interpreted it was you are a unique being. And everyone is going to tell you who you should be and how you should be, right? And it's really knowing and owning yourself and integrating every aspect of who you are, the sum of all of your parts, if you will. That's integrity. And that moment, that little word, that little slip of paper changed the entire trajectory of my future. Wow. I could have gone down a very dark path of self-destruction. I have got, could have gotten into drugs. I could have got, I had that kind of a foundation, right? Sure. That shaky foundation. But that one word and the permission to empower myself to go look it up and interpret that word on my terms. Yeah pivoted me in a completely different direction to where I knew who I was and the whole world could tell me otherwise, but I know better than anyone who I am. Yeah. Right. I love that. I, I think, and honestly, it's one of the core principles that should guide our life mm -hmm. is what I'm hearing you describe is this process of awareness, right? This sense of who am I? What am I about? You know, What's where I have integrity too, right? When I think about integrity, you know, I think about I'm aligning myself with this sense, this kind of my version, my interpretation at this moment of who I am right. with integrity, right? And and I want to live that person that I am and be that person with, you know, with integrity. And, and that's, you know, built on a core principle of awareness, the sense of who am I, where am I at, and what is my trajectory? You use that word. I, I mean, it's a great word. Yeah. And I think it's an important thing for all of us because, and nobody can see this because it's audio, but if you look at, think of a line going up and down. Vertical line, yeah. A vertical line. All of us are someplace on a vertical line. I mean, Thank wherever you. we are today, I mean, we simply are there. And we can't change it because it is what it is. And if you at 14 were a certain place on the line and now at something more than 14, you're a different place on the line, right? right? And so we are all someplace on this line of our journey of life. The only thing that matters, the only thing is not where we're at on the line, but what our trajectory is. Because the trajectory is going to determine our today and our tomorrow and who we become which I think is fundamentally the challenge, the opportunity, the joy of life is to be on a journey of becoming the per person that we really would like to become, the person who understands themselves and is living that with integrity. Yes. But I believe it's really critical that we align ourselves with great enduring principles at the same time. And I was talking to somebody the other day, I'd never really thought about this way, but I like to use a natural versus a mechanical metaphor. Yes. Because I believe the mechanical metaphor has been so destructive to families and the environment and to culture that that I want to move away from it as much as possible. So I think of think of it ourselves like a cherry tree, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, which is in nature, right? And so what we want to do is find out well, what are the principles that guide human success, positive, you know, forward moving evolution. 
Right. Um, and and if we can align our lives in our own individual way with those principles, which are unbending, frankly, it's like gravity, right? I can ignore gravity. I can deny gravity. I can do whatever I want, but gravity is still going to be there. It was there 3,000 years ago it, when Plato was talking about stuff, right? It'll be there 3,000 years from now. Right. So it is a simple fact. It is a reality to, we are better off to understand gravity and align our lives, you know, with an understanding of that natural law or principle, if you will. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. You know, I, I experience time as not linear, but it's a pinpoint. And around that pinpoint, it's an infinite, uh, I call it, it's like an infinite uh, uh peacock tail of possibilities if you can imagine okay, peacock yeah. tail how it how it fans out right and so yeah. from this point in time and space where i am on that vertical timeline um there's an infinite peacock tail of possibilities and all i have to do and i'm the only one who can do it is choose which peacock tail to walk along right yeah. choose my trajectory right. now i I was just talking about this. Actually, I referred to it in my last episode where um, I think of it as fifth dimensional thinking, okay? You think of the for, for one dimension is just a plain flat surface. It has no depth. It has no height. It has no width. It's just a flat surface. Yeah. Second dimension is the ink on the paper, right? It sits on top of, it adds dimension to it. It's just, mm -hmm. it gets it, uh, a little bit of, of uh, height. Right. If you look at a microscope of ink on paper, it's sitting on top of the paper. Right. So second dimension is it gives it height sure. and width. Third dimension gives it depth. Right. And you can see like with a cube or a cup or a bottle or whatever, you can see that it has multiple dimensions and you can imagine yourself moving through time and space right yeah. within or to that space you can look at a closed door for instance and and this is a great um uh visualization for people to imagine if you can imagine a closed door right and you're on one side of the room point a and the door is on the other side of the room point b you can imagine what it would take and how long it would take for you to stand up and walk through time and space to the door See, that's right. the dimension. Fourth dimension is actually getting up and moving through time and space from point A to point B, right? That's the peacock tail. You choose the peacock tail, you choose your point B, and then you move through time and space to that point B. Fifth dimension is having the courage to open the door and cross the threshold into the unknown. And anything could be on the other side of that door that's why it takes courage it could right. be a monster it could be a portal into another dimension it could be a war battle it could be a you know pile of dog poo i mean it could be anything but you're the one who can imagine and then manifest what's on the other side of the door it all comes from your own imagining and your own capacity human capacity call it a divine uh the divine spark of creation within all of us to imagine and manifest what's on the other side and having the courage to open it and cross the threshold of the door into the unknown. Yeah. And, and I, that's how I interpret what you were saying 
is that it's, it's a fifth dimensional process of of being at the door and preparing yourself to open and walk through. Your generous sponsorship and individual support of the Lost Traveler podcast benefits the Lost Travelers Club, a charitable project under the fiscal sponsorship of United Charitable, a nonprofit 501c3 organization. The Lost Travelers Club focuses primarily on the needs of parents who have outlived their beloved children. We recently launched our new Brain Candy Project wing, providing art supplies to children still struggling with critical or terminal health-related conditions. We hope to raise enough funds to launch Brain Candy, an arts and literature magazine created by and for these young people. Find out more at www.braincandy.online. Thank you. I love this. So this is very, it's, it's, it's interesting that you can't plan these things, I don't think, or you could maybe, but we obviously did not. But uh, I think about that. I might think about, and I don't know, I'll just throw this out on the, on the, on the airwaves here, but I might liken that fifth dimension to an idea of faith or mm. belief. Yes. Because without faith, we would never go Think of it like a, a door into a dark room. I don't know what's there. Yeah. I kind of have to take a step into that dark room. And be the light. Adjust, right? I can see it a little bit more. And, and we, But we do that based on faith, on a sense of belief that I think I'm going to find something better there or something mm -hmm. interesting, at least. Something that's going to contribute to my growth, development, goals, purpose, values, whatever. Even if it's hope, even if it's just hope. Exactly. Right? You are the light that illuminates the darkness. That's what people don't understand, I think, a lot, is that they are the the, the illumination yeah. of the darkness. You can be, but that bears with it a certain responsibility as well, right? I, I think with no, faith, could, faith can be interpreted in so many ways. Right. And faith has been used for so many generations to manipulate and to, you know, keep people boxed in, not in a good way, uh, you know. And so how do we how do we come to grips with with that difference and interpret it like interpreting integrity? How do we interpret it for our own journey and for ourselves? Right. right? There's well, that faith, which is a whole other sort of whole thing. other thing yeah yeah, right? yeah right well and it goes back to this idea i think of what are the enduring principles and aligning with those things so we think about faith has both been used for the most noble and amazing things as well as some of the least noble <laughs> yes you know and and some of it is religion right based on religion but pol pot and hitler weren't particularly religious but right. they did ask people to take a leap of faith with them right. right and so what is our faith based on and it doesn't matter if we're in a formal religion or not or if it's you know a general sense of spirituality or the force or you know whatever it is right there is this universal idea that I think we all connect with, That's which right. is that there are things that are better than others, right? And we think about, you know, 
guiding principles. Like we talked about gravity a while ago. And and so some people find this kind of limiting. Well, why would I want to limit, my, limit myself to these principles which are unchanging? Well, here's the reason why. For example, I want to fly. As a human being, you know, I want to fly. When I was like, how old was I? Five years old. I remember this very distinctly. We lived in a little trailer, Yakima, Washington, and there was a split rail fence in between our little trailer and the, <laughs> the next trailer over. And I remember uh, I'd read a Superman comic or something, who knows, right? <laughs> and I climbed up on that fence and I jumped and flapped my arms as fast as I could, thinking if I could only fly, wouldn't that be so amazing? Well, I've never given up the hope of being able to fly someday without like an airplane. But for now, airplanes are great. But airplanes were, were born out of man's desire, human's desire to fly. We made exactly. it happen. How about human ingenuity? I mean, that's amazing. It's amazing it is. what we accomplished. Well, it's amazing. And so what happened, though, was the people who wanted to fly and were smarter than me and maybe had a little more interest, you know, in the the science behind it, if you will, right? So they had to figure out, well, yeah, gravity. How does gravity work? You know, what? Is, how does this affect my goal, my desire to fly? And then they had to think about, well, I got to understand thrust because without thrust, there's really no flying. You right. can fall and float for a little while, but, you know, that has its limitations. If you want to fly, use it to get from here to there or, you know, go around in the sky and see things you got to have thrust. So you, you have these principles, which are unbending, right? You can't fudge it. You can't cheat on it. You can't cram the night before or, you know, lie on the test because you know what? Gravity doesn't care. The laws of <laughs> physics. <laughs> they are. They're, they're just immutable. And so we think, well, that's so limiting, right? I'm, I want unlimited possibility. I want all these wonderful things. But what we do is we align our lives with these immutable principles. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? Well, one person in their inimitable individuality says, you know what? I understand these principles. And somebody else built a plane. And they built the wings kind of like this. But I'm going to put one wing on top of the other one. Right, and we call it a, a biplane in the <laughs> right. And another one says, I've got a, a whirly gig on the top. And another one says, you know what? I'm going to put the motor on the back of the plane or on the front of the plane or on the wings of the plane or maybe in all three places, right? All of a sudden, our individuality comes out, that creativity, that That's process right. of kind of expression. But it's all aligned with the principles because if you ignore the principles i don't care how beautiful your plane is it isn't gonna work right and and it's the same thing with us as human beings we could be very wise to spend some time to think about what are the underlying principles of human success and I'm not talking about becoming a millionaire or the president or something like that. <laughs> right. I'm talking about a human being who has a sense of who they are, that awareness, an explicit sense of their values and what they would like to do, the direction they want to be moving with their life. 
and then kind of getting on the path, if you will, that journey, which peacock feather do you want to pursue, right? right. And and you you start with that awareness. You then say, what do I learn along the way? Because you're going to make mistakes and you're going to have successes. Those are inevitable, right? So we right. we learn. I sure. think that's a critical principle as human yeah. beings. I'm so glad that you didn't say we failed. I'm so glad yeah. you didn't say we fail because I, I think failure is an illusion. If you are on the journey and you are intent on learning at every step of the way, then there's no such thing as failure. There you you, know, go. you may get an it. F on your report card, which kids often interpret as I am a failure, right? Or they're told as I was right. that you right. are a failure, right? And the more you hear something, the more you're apt to believe it. And the magic of our human capacity is that we can turn the journey of that peacock feather at any point on that journey can become a point B. That, that's the point B. It can become, we can magically transform it into a point A. And that point A is surrounded by an infinite number of peacock tails. And uh, you can choose you another. If you're not feeling good, if you're not feeling safe, if you're not feeling it's right, trust your gut and choose another trajectory. There's no time that's wrong to do that. You can like do that it. at any point of your development and of your life journey. That's such a gift in our humanity that I don't think any other living thing on the planet experiences quite like human beings. We're the only ones that we know that can conceive of faith, that we can yeah. conceive of even a, a divine creator of all things, yeah. right? It takes the human imagination to spark the con the conception, the conceiving of those things outside of ourselves in that darkness, in that unknown, right? So to maintain our sense of wonder and curiosity and the tools that we have in our time, how, again, human beings created this. We created a way that if you have a question, my son Cameron and I used to call the internet Merlin's Pool because mm -hmm. you can conjure up any vision that you imagine. And if it's not there, you can put it in there. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. But it is, it's, it's a part of our potential as human beings. And anyways, I, I guess I, I see people, I've seen people struggle on three continents now mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'd love to visit more continents, but I'm guessing it's very similar. Yeah, And I think so often our struggling comes from when we, in pursuit of our individuality, we lose that connection to the enduring principles. You Earlier on, you talked about foundations. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like a tree having strong, vibrant, healthy roots. Yes. And trunk and branches. Because so much of what we want in life is the fruit, right? If it's a cherry Cher tree, we want those cherries. Yes. And, and there's all kinds of tips, tricks, and hacks, and techniques, and whatnot that talk about how to get more cherries. But without the foundation, we do two things. We actually subvert our own ability to get the fruit that we're looking for. And we subject ourselves to really destructive and unnecessary risk and potential catastrophic failure. And so you think about a human life, what is catastrophic failure? Well, this would be like um, 
a habit that is so destructive that it overrides all the good things about me in my life. Yeah. Right. So think of like a drug habit, mm -hmm. an anger habit, a dishonesty habit, right? These kinds of things will in very fact inevitably derail us yes. because they're not aligned with the principles, the enduring principles of human success. And when I say human success, I mean humans as you, Henry Cameron and me, David, and us as human beings on the same planet right. that inevitably will interact with each other and impact and affect each other. Yes. And so I think we have to create that alignment and that foundation. And then, like we said, you know, beyond that, we can be really creative that, you know, peacock feather giving you all these different ways you can go is a beautiful kind of metaphor for the fact that once I've built on these foundations, then nobody can take those away. That's a beautiful thing about foundations, right? And human mm -hmm. foundations are just the same. Yes. So my own sense of my values today, you know, as I understand them, that is one of those foundations, that sense of awareness about who I am and where I am, you know, in the kind of milieu around me, right? That is a foundation. Right. And it doesn't mean that you're like everybody else or that you're necessarily not like everybody else. It means that you've gone through this journey, this effort, if you will, yeah. to build these foundations because from there you've got all these choices. Greetings, greetings, greetings. I'm Queen B. Divine. The cure is conversation. And where can you find me? At bluntreflections.com, where I will be talking to guests from around the world that not only share their time, but their insights and their tips on how they became the best version of who they were meant to be. So if you're looking for a great story and a great time, check me out at bluntreflections.com. The cure is conversation. And remember, blase, blase means to tell your story. You know, and I, I thank you for that. I think that's beautiful. I love the metaphor of the cherry tree uh, because we all want our lives to bear fruit, um, you know, and not in a selfish way. It's, it's, it's to pass on what we've learned through our journey to others. It's like that old adage of the old man, the old man, who plants a fig tree in his garden, knowing that he will never taste the fruit of that tree, but some descendant will. You know, I think that's such a beautiful exactly. way to live is that, you know, we are, and, and I have a lot of clients who I find will always go back to the excuse of, well, my foundation, that's the way I was raised, right? So that's how I believe. That's how I, my faith, that's what I, right. And I, and I always come back and say, well, who's raising you now? There's still an inner child within you that needs the parenting that only you can give that you didn't get possibly. So somebody may have planted that cherry tree. Right. And it took root. Right. But it was not given enough light it was not given enough water it was not given enough care nobody ever sang to it or talked to it which everybody should to plants right um you know and and so it developed into a weak tree it may be alive but it developed into a weak tree there is no point in a person's life and this is for you listeners that you can't <laughs> go back and replant your own tree that you cannot 
go back and self-parent and fill in the gaps. Nature abhors a vacuum. You've got to, as you said, create the space for something better. And that's the way to do that is by getting rid of the thing that's not working. Now, the way to do that that I've found that probably you, you've experienced similarly, David, is that you've got to be the one to create the space, right? If you dig a hole in your garden, mm -hmm. come back in three days, it's going to be full of something. This can be full of water or flower petals or dead leaves or dog poo or whatever, you know, air. Nature will fill it with something. But you have to act, right? You have to be the one to create that space. And to go back and, you know, first of all, fault your foundation for your own misgivings. That's not taking responsibility for who you are or the power that you have to affect change. When you're focused on changing, say you that you are a drug addict today, rather than focusing on changing that, what you would qualify as bad behavior, right? Or bad habit that you've developed. If you're focusing on changing something negative in yourself, you're still focusing on the negative. But if you learn a new way, if you learn a new behavior, that's where all your focus and attention goes. And yeah. right, and, and and all of that other stuff that you don't want is going to be effortlessly replaced by what you're focusing on. Automatically, effortlessly, it's just it's a shift that you barely even notice. We have many more senses than five. We have a sense of beauty. We have a sense of of you know uh, uh, the the quality between personalities. We have a sense of of safety, sense of connection, sense of connection. We have a sense of danger, right? Sense of humor, right? We have yeah. so many other senses. It's important to remember that, right? We have super yeah. senses as well, right? There are forces <laughs> around us that influence our health and our development that we cannot see, taste, smell, or or otherwise perceive with our five senses, those are super sensible, right? Yeah. That to me is where faith lives, is in that sense. Yeah. That it's, it's in a sense that we possess, but it's beyond the uh, the, the light beam from our white, our lighthouse. Right. You know, it only goes right, so right. far before it dissipates into darkness and that unknown place, right? Well, as you're talking about it, this thought came to my mind. It's, it's like... Um... We're talking about bad habits mm. as a, you know, this idea and bad, bad feels judgmental to me. Right. Yes. Um, and another way to think about it is that, and I think this is a nice way to ask the question, does this habit serve me well? That's right. Rather than label it good or bad to say, does this habit serve me well? Is it consistent with my values? Is it consistent with kind of where my life, where I'd like it to go? Does it serve me? If it does, you know, then great. But if it doesn't, as you said, nature abhors a vacuum. I told, I, it's in my book. In fact, I use oh. those exact words. How did I know that? <laughs> uh, how is that amazing? But uh, maybe because that is a universal principle. I, I didn't right. invent and you didn't invent and right? We talk about aligning ourselves with things that are enduring, right? Yes, yes. This idea that I, though, am the captain of my own life. And so I get to make a choice. I've identified something through my awareness that doesn't serve me. And it may be how I was raised, right? Which 
maybe serves me well, but maybe there's aspects of that that don't, right? Yeah. So as a sentient, conscious, thinking human being, you might go, you know, that's how I was raised, but I don't think that's serving me very well. That's right. And then you decide, well, what would be better? What would serve me better? And focus than on that current thought, habit, pattern, whatever. And then, like you said, we don't like, we just replace it, right? And this is this process of you becoming a new version of yourself. And it, the beauty of it is that it's joyful. That's We're right. not sacrificing something, Any right? We are taking leadership of our life to become the person that we would like to become. And as a joyful activity, a creative activity, it never stops. It never ends. I'm 62. Um, when I'm 82, I'll still be doing that, right? I'm still going to be becoming, and nobody can take that away, right? I, you ever read, um, oh, shoot, what's his name? He was the uh, psychologist, no, psychiatrist, I believe, uh, World War II. Um, he wrote Man's Search for Meaning. Oh, yes, Um He's a German psychiatrist who you know, was Jewish, since and I he was 50, put into names, concentration camps. Names yeah. go out of my head, but I'll I'll find it. I'll put a link in the description. Yeah, uh, and I've well. I've got his book. I mean, it's really a beautiful, beautiful book. But he talks about this idea that in the most extreme circumstances that human beings could create, which was probably a German concentration camp, yeah, um, where you are completely dehumanized victor frankel victor frankel excellent thank yes. you yes so you know and, and he has this observation he said big strong tough guys you know muscly used to get in their own way being in charge or i'll beat you up kind of a thing right mm -hmm. these guys failed miserably in the concentration camp because all of that bluster and bravado was broken down by those who had the power. Yeah. And he said the people who survived the concentration camps were the people who had a sense of meaning beyond themselves, right? Yeah. They had attached the meaning in their life to things that nobody could beat out of them or threaten them or starve them or take away from them because they were immutable they were eternal that sense of if i can get out of here i might see my children again that's right, right? we are eternal we are eternal beings we are energy that's another beautiful law of physics is that everything is energy even a rock you know, uh, we're all energy and if energy can't be created or destroyed which is proven well, what does that mean for the concept of death? Yeah. Well, I totally illusion. agree with you. It's an illusion, right? And everything turns, it just changes form, right? When you when you create uh, charcoal out of tree, right? That's still energy. And that charcoal still contains concentrated energy that right. when you burn is released, right? right? And it's released into the atmosphere. And the that energy turns into a different kind of energy right it's a perpetual yeah. eternal thing and, and it's no different for human beings we are part of nature we're not separate from it a guy wire 
is a tensioned cable that is designed to enhance the stability of a freestanding structure. Think of me as your guy wife. In terms of life skills mentoring, you're perfectly capable of standing stably on your own two feet. But I'm a cable that can enhance your stability. I'm available for individual or couples counseling, life skills mentorship, child loss grief support, LGBTQ plus support. I can also officiate weddings, end of life ceremonies, baby namings, invocations, or whatever guidance you may need. I serve all genders, all ages. Sessions are affordable, discreet, private, and conducted online. Find me at guy-wire.org. Book your appointment today. This is yeah. a beautiful segue. I can't believe we've been talking for an hour. I could keep going. Uh, I know, we'll that's to, terrible. I'll have to have you back for a part two. Um, <laughs> Because this is this is all so important and right in line with with the frequency that I think a lot of people are are longing for and looking for and putting out there as well. We're finding these matching frequencies where we can bring experts. When you want to learn how to cook, say you want to learn how to you know the art of Chinese cuisine, you're going to go find somebody who knows how to cook Chinese and they're going to teach you. If you want to learn to play the violin or if you want to learn a sport. Or if you want to learn uh, how to become an attorney or a doctor or whatever, you know, you want to a learn a podcast host, a podcast host, um, you go and find someone who's an expert in that particular skill to teach you. And that's why I, I'm bringing together in this forum experts in one life skill or another, or sometimes multiple, to share their tools to say, hey, this is this is something I can use. This I resonate with. That frequency I can understand, right? And I can synthesize this tool with my tools that I already possess and create a new tool for my life from this point forward, there right? So I always ask my guests as we wrap up to reflect a little bit on the things that we've talked about today and offer as a gift three practical tools that our listeners can walk away with and and think about and play with, right? Um, three practical tools that they can apply uh, that you know have worked for you. Uh, and it could be something that we've touched on already today, or it could be something that we haven't yet. Yeah. So I think as a practical tool, I think we're very wise to build foundations. And one of the core foundations as human beings is to make our own core values explicit. Write it down. There's it. write it down. Well, and I, I, I think I suggest there are three steps. One is you would take your top five. So go through a process and say, what are my top five? In other words, if, you know, Everything went to hell in a handbasket. These are five values that I would hold on to. They are core on how I define myself, how I see myself, that I think are really important. So this isn't your parents' values, or your friends, or your partner's values, or government you know, philosopher, right? Political <laughs> party. <David's> values. <laughs> <laughs> so 
top five. And then I invite you to, I don't know, maybe this counts as three things, but define it. So I used earlier in our conversation, I, I used transparency. So yeah. I have to define that for me. What does transparency mean to me? This isn't a paragraph or you know a three-page essay. This is a line or two. This is what that means to me. Then you need to describe what that looks like. You know, what is the behavior that I can incorporate in my life that reflects that value as I have defined it, right? It's all very personal. And then the third thing is to say, so what? Why am I better off in my life by having defined this value and described how I will live it? Why does that serve me better? And if we can do those things, I, I was shocked in my research at the research behind values. Yes. If we can do these things, which doesn't take forever, doesn't cost anything, just a little bit of our time and energy, we will typically, we will tend to greater purpose and meaning in our life. It's those foundations. We will have more well-being in our life, that sense that my life is going in the right direction. I will avoid fuzzy thinking, languishing apathy and regret and enjoy greater focus and clarity in my life. To me, what gifts those things are, and this is a very simple thing that we can do, anybody can do it no matter where you are. Okay. And five years from now, these might change, hallelujah, because you are becoming a new you yes. through this joyful process of life and aligning ourselves with these principles. Um, I don't know if that's three gifts or one, but I mean, I leave that. I think it's very powerful as a foundational idea for us as human beings. I absolutely agree. And I do think that qualifies because it takes you on a journey. And there are three checkpoints, right? And, you know, it reminds me of, of I remember earlier I was talking about my, my experience in Fiji. Um, the exercise that I gave them because I asked them, what do you want? What do you want for the future of your country and for your children and future generations and for yourself? And it was a really tough thing. It took forever to get even one person to list the things that they, that they want. That's a hard thing. That's a hard ask. And I said, okay, so here's what we're going to do instead. I want you to make a list of the things that you know that you don't want. <laughs> that took five minutes. And they each yeah. had a list of like 20 <laughs> different things. I know I don't want these things, right? right? And so I said, now that you've written these things on the left side of your paper, on the right side of your paper, directly across from each one of those items, write the opposite of that point, right? If you don't want ill health, What's the opposite of that? Right. Right. And go down your list. And when you found the opposite of each one of those points that you know that you don't want, tear the paper in two and get rid of that list of the things you don't want. Burn it. Get it off the planet. Right. There you have your focus of the things that you do want. And now is the time to start manifesting those things. Right. So take that piece of paper, fold it up 
put it in a little like Altoids tin, you know, or some little box, <laughs> a metal box, because, you know, you don't want it to degrade. Go out into nature and find a tree or a shrub or some place that only you know, dig a little hole and plant that seed in the earth. Cover it up, put a stone on top of it. And every time you achieve one of those things in your life that you want, that you've manifested, go dig it up, cross it off your list, fold it back up and replant it in the earth. That's another exercise that I think people can really benefit from. And it also puts you in touch with nature in a very profound way, the cycles, the laws of nature, right? Plant something in the earth, it will grow. An organic thing that came out of you will plant it in the earth and it'll grow. So thank awesome. you. Thank you for, for this hour. Thank you for your wisdom and your continued journey along your particular string of peacock feathers. <laughs> and we will meet again on another peacock feather another time. Um, awesome. I would love to have you back. Uh, this is a, a lovely conversation that I want to continue. Good. Awesome. I'd love that. Great. So listeners, thank you for joining us. And uh, do look in the description for links to David's website. And uh, I'll also put other ways uh, that they can reach you if they have questions. Also link to your your book. And uh, and we will uh, we'll keep widening the circle. Thanks again. Thank you. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to Season 3 of the Lost Traveler Podcast with your host, Henry Cameron Allen. Visit me online at www.henryallen.org. Thank you to all my guests, and thank you to my listeners all around the world. I couldn't do this without your support. Let's keep striving for a better world, together. Together.